Okay, honey, we are talking today about what kind of animals you should get on your homestead. I love when you call me honey in front of all these people. Well, in the last one, it was babe. I was going to say, I feel like honey is like when somebody calls you sweetheart because they forgot your name. But Okay, babe, we're going to be talking about what animals you should get or you should think of or even just all the animals you can even ponder for your homestead. So remember that time when God flooded the earth and told Noah to put all the animals in the ark? This is not that conversation, but that's what that made me think of. Not all the animals, but like specific farm animals. Those ones that when you were like four, you really thought you were going to use those animal sounds a lot more in your life. Like the neighs and the moos and the oinks and the quacks. And then you become 40 and you realize those animals don't even say those sounds. They don't say moo moo. They really don't. And they don't say quack quack. Well, we didn't have horse. Oh, we didn't put horses on that. Well, we don't have horses. I know. We'll think of that. we want horses. So I guess that's a spoiler to the rest of our conversation today. And why not kick off with, would you like us to talk about the animals we do have or the animals we thought we should have when we started the homestead? Let's talk about the animals that we have had Mm -hmm. so far. We're not going to be doing what's new in the homestead and what's growing in the garden because to be honest, we've recorded these two videos, these podcasts, days apart. So nothing has changed, and that would be redundant. <laughs> Besides the castration of the pigs, there's a longer story with that, and we don't know the end of it. It's not been a good... <laughs> it's sad, but we're going to f- hold that off for another time. So the animals that... Our first animal that we ever got for the homestead was a dog. We got Chip. Well, on this That's homestead. That's a lie. Okay, so sorry. Sorry. I feel like first... you really have to back up. I'll let you do it. Well, I just think that the first animal we ever got for the homestead were the rabbits. Yes. So if you've watched videos way back since like 2017, we began with rabbits for their poop and we wanted to garden with it and we thought this would be this magic thing. And for a long time, it really was. We had a little gap in our life where... We'd begun with rabbits and then moved, and so we didn't have them for a while. But our friend was holding those rabbits for us, so we brought them to the homestead, and immediately we were panicked. We were like, we need extra cages around these rabbits. They need Fort Knox security. And we just thought for sure the first thing that was going to happen was these wild dogs were going to come, and they were going to tear into our cages. They just weren't strong enough. These were vulnerable prey. We must secure the rabbits. And I think that's very true Bo Brotherton fashion. It's not just like, oh, maybe something could happen. His thoughts are the very worst thing not only could happen, but it will happen. And I need to be ready for that. Preparedness. So we spent a foolish amount of money at Tractor Supply on one of those, um, like dog run cages, right? There's like an easy gate to open, but like... I don't it know how much square It wasn't a foolish feet. amount of money. It was more than we, it was, how about this? That thing has come in handy. Yes. Several well, times. Well, we have repurposed it, but at that time. It will last forever. The reason we purchased it was because. The coyotes. These are, these are tiny little rabbits and they are going to be destroyed by the wildlife in this wild country we live in. We've never had a coyote on our property four years later. There's not been anything that has attacked our animals with the exception of some pretty out there, ready to be dinner for something chickens. And these rabbits, 
were in no danger at all, (laughs) but they were very secure. So we brought the rabbits home and they were the first animals that we had so that we could begin sort of like revitalizing according to the plan that we had at the time. So we thought, all right, we'll use their poop for manure. We'll use their their meat for our family. We'll also use it to feed these dogs that we were going to get. And this was going to be the beginning of life on the homestead. Full circle. We had rabbits. We actually had worms. I think that that is definitely a form of livestock. Kelly might make fun of me, but... You know, Natalie at It's a Good Life, she would get she would she would feel supported if I said that worms are a part of a possible functioning homestead. Everything farm. that has breath, yes, totally. Do they breathe through their valuable. skin? I'm sure they do. So, uh, worms were the first thing that we had. Then we got rabbits, and then we got rid of all of them in order to move. move. And then we were slightly home houseless for six months. And then once we got here. About a month later, we got uh, Chip the dog, and I think he's kind of a part of a farm, and we don't use him perfectly, but he's a, he's a part of our protection and security here on the property. Then we immediately got our rabbits back. Mm-hmm. Then we got chicken layers, we, and then we got well, meat we got chickens. chicks, yeah. Chicks. So the layers started as chicks. We had this grand idea, and I think it's still very valuable, but at that point, we were trying to think cost efficiently. And then we were also trying to think, um, you know, how can we holistically approach this homestead? Everything was from scratch. I mean, it it was just everything, baby everythings. And, and even our home, like there was nothing here till we put a house on it. So everything at that point, I think within the first year for sure was from scratch and like a deeper value because we put our hands to it. I do think we've learned some lessons that we'll talk about in a little bit in regards to whether it still has value if it's not just from scratch. Sure. Okay. So let's get through all the things that we've had and the things that we never had. So rabbits, pigs, uh, we had pigs for meat in terms of like we had, well, we had the meat. So we had the rabbits, chickens, chicken layers, chicken for meat, the corners cross. Then we had uh, pigs for just pork. Then we did that again, and then we did the breeding pair. Breeding pair, and then we got uh, our milk cow Goldie, and then we had you know a t- another t- kind of like a breeding stock because we b- bought another jersey, so that allowed us to buy an animal for five hundred dollars and mm-hmm. then sell her for somewhat of a profit mm-hmm. because you know depending on the feed, but she didn't eat that much. But we sold uh, Buttercup for twenty three hundred dollars. You learned that in the last video, so that was good. And then, what else have we had? Well, I think also with the cow, we've had a series well, of calves. Yeah, beef. The animals that we have not had were, we've never done sheep. I think that's probably the top one that we thought we were going to try to do at some point was mm-hmm. uh, sheep. We So sheep, lamb. We have never done goats, and I don't think we are going to do Goats. I just I don't just, have the desire yeah. for goats. I don't either. Not not because there's anything against the meat. In fact, the meat is like the number one meat across the world. Correct. Is goat meat. And I'm sure it's amazing. I think we've had it before. I think just raising them, they're a little rowdy. They're yeah. harder to keep in place. So I've just not been motivated to goats. Me neither. So not so much the goats. And Fish. 
Well, yeah. And so we are having fish at the moment and we have the minnows at the pond, but we've never done like aquaponics. We haven't yet stocked our pond yet. They just have the minnows because the pond's not really full. I think it fi we finally hit that dry season mm -hmm. that they expected for this opposite El Nino winter, whatever that's called. Do we know what that's called? Well, we dug the pond and heard there would be a dry winter. Yeah. And then within the first month, I think we had thousands of gallons of water collected from the rain. So it began to fill and then hit a really dry point. So we'll either get a boatload of rain in April or we'll be dry probably until July. Bees. Everybody wants to talk about bees for the homestead. We have never had bees. <laughs> that was the one that was not on the list that I totally Can forgot. Can I pause to to add a comment about bees and the Brothertons? Yes. So there's a certain kind of je ne sais quoi about beekeepers. There is a certain type of personality that we have learned. We have multiple friends that keep bees and every single one of them is a steady dude or girl. Every single one of them is middle of the road, cool, calm, and collected. Every single one of them is the kind of person you would go to when life is a little bananagrams and you just need someone to be like, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. That's not Bo Brotherton. So let's, I, I wanted to give us- Are you so, defending well, well, yourself? No, 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 not at all. I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory because I this was whenever I really learned- who I am. <laughs> we have a buddy, Cody, and uh, Cody would love this story because it was so fun. And he, Cody likes to smoke a pipe. Um, I've done it from time to time. I have never actually bought Think like pipe corn tobacco. cob pipe. Yeah, like, like you, know, you know, Lord of the Rings types of pipes. And there was a little smoke shop and I took him there for his birthday because he's a good <laughs> friend. And I was the first time that I ever actually smoked a, a pipe cigar for real. shop. I feel like you're missing, like you got to really clarify what's happening here. Good point. You're like all these pipes and smoke shops. Let's be clear. Yeah. There's a gentleman's cigar club in a town nearby us. Yeah. So we did that and I'm sitting there smoking, trying to learn how to smoke a, my corn cob pipe. Literally a corn and cob you, pipe. And when you first do it, for me personally, I have to really <laughs> slow down and concentrate how to do it because there's a, there's a technique to it. Yes. And whenever he said, he was like, so what do you think? I was like, well, it's, it's kind of nice because I have to focus on slowing down and... <laughs> learning how to breathe and actually <laughs> do this pipe where you don't really inhale it. You just kind of enjoy it. And I can't talk while I'm doing that. And he goes, Oh, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, you, you, you shut up. <laughs> you have to relax. Well, it, it, it was, takes you a dismantling of your thought in order to relax. And so beekeepers somehow just access that naturally. Yes. I also am not a beekeeper person. I do not have the patience for that kind of work, but I will pay you for your honey, especially if it's local, and I will appreciate you deeply. And in that context, we could totally camp out in another conversation on another podcast about how to build sustainable community on the homestead, because not everybody's going to be beekeepers. Well, and, and 
So, okay, we're going to keep on going. So th- <laughs> what? those are the things, because yes, because it does get us to where we're trying to go to. Yeah. You're going to try to... How do you know? How do you know what's exactly. good? How do you know what's right? Because... It's not just the typical, your climate is great for this animal on the homestead, or even your uh, your region is going to have the best grass or rainfall or whatever, and these are guaranteed square pegs in square holes. I think finding the right animal for your property is almost as unique as a thumbprint because even on our street where we have other friends living a sort of sustainable homestead life, we have very different approaches to the animals that we keep and even um, within those animals, the types that we're raising. So it's first going to be your land's going to tell you. Yeah. And that's, that's it. You know, we did not have cows. I don't know. We, we just... Your land's going to, there's lots of things. So your land's going to tell you, you're going to have to go through trial and error. You know, there was a one time where in this winter, we were ready to get rid of the chickens. We were like, just let them die. No, we did make that decision. Yeah. Because our summers are so wrought with drought that we are guaranteeing every summer for about eight to 12 weeks, we probably won't have any significant rainfall, nothing more than a mist because it's so warm that once the rain falls, even just minuscule amounts, it's evaporating right when it hits the hot ground. So we know that and we're almost preparing ourselves like, dude, if these 20 plus chickens are giving us one egg all day, all week, really, we were getting like one to three eggs a week, even before the winter hit. And I was like, you know what? This is a stress that we don't need to afford. We love the chickens for what the chickens are. But do I really like chickens? Mm, Not so much. So we had a decision that we would just let them be. We'd take them out of the poultry netting and then we'd lock them up at night. But Lord, lead them during the day. Thankfully, that was probably the biggest surprise that we've had out of all our animal endeavors. Like, throw things at the wall and see what sticks. I think this was the biggest win that we'd ever had with animals and just trying out, seeing what would work. And yes, they start, the chickens started laying and then the chickens started going broody, which for us was very cool. We haven't, we haven't gotten any chicks yet. And, but I think that that would be super awesome if we can have a broody hen hatch her own chicks. Well, let's go back to the land telling us what to do in this particular instance, because our chickens have been in poultry netting inside a chicken tractor, a John Siskovich chicken tractor, and inside a Justin Rhodes chick shaw. And then we, the ideal is that you'd move that every single day. Well, that is really difficult on land that is so rocky, so so, uh, not Rocky. Yeah, I get, wooded. Well, it's wooded, but it's also very uneven is probably what I'm trying to say instead of Rocky. So if you have pasture, I think moving these birds is probably cake compared to what we've been doing. But everything we do with these birds is really challenging because there are even times when we've moved the chickens in the chickshaw and the chickshaw is like cattywampus to the ground. Like it is not level. So we've watched the challenge of our family trying to move this and the low production of the birds was just all in all disappointing. The question was, why are we keeping these birds? But as soon as we began free ranging them, not only did we get more eggs, but we have 
I would say, an exponential explosion of egg production and birds that are so satisfied by free ranging that they do want to brood. And our feed has gone down. And yes. so we had a lot of chickens that would escape. Uh, and there was one person yep. that ended up on, on YouTube. They said, I can't believe you're blaming Justin for your mistakes. I'm like, Stop. dude, whatever. Um, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, he, he was an inspiration for all of this. And it's, it's, we're, we're learning, we're acting and adjusting and finding out what works for us tr through trial and error. And what we had, a we had a lot of chickens that got older and we gave them mm -hmm. a little bit more of a, of a free, you know, line so that they could escape. And we didn't mind it because they were able to get in with the, the cow patties and mm -hmm. scratch those up and spread them. But then they were laying out in the forest everywhere and we couldn't find their eggs. Once we allowed yeah. them to go free range and not be in the net, they went back to the chick shawl to their nest boxes every single time. So it just all worked out. Now we might lose some. This is, this is how we're figuring it out. Well, and, that's and probably it, a really good point because we have not had a predator issue with our animals. That's why we were like, it's not cruel to open up the netting and let them out. We haven't had an experience with hawks. We haven't had an experience with owls. We haven't had experiences with daytime predators at all, which could also have to do with the land and the amount of forest that we have around us. Yeah, they, they ha they're able to go a long way on our property by always having a canopy mm -hmm. to, to run under. So some sort of shelter yeah, to seek. Yeah. I mean, they can even get, it's not good, but they can <laughs> even get underneath our house. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this with Georgia. So Georgia's our almost one year old. And in our house, we are on a like pier and beam type system. We're on cinder blocks and our chickens can go under our house. And there are times where we'll be in the living room and you'll hear this squawk and Georgia straight up pauses. And she was like, where did that come from? Almost uh, as if she's asking, like, was that me? I, <laughs> like, what was that? I've never seen that. It's hilarious. We'll have to look for it this week. Okay. Just learning how to listen to the land and what it tells you and all of that. Act and adjust, uh, trial of the air. You also need to know your time availability. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you have time to milk a cow every single day? Uh, do you have time to feed the animals? All of the, you know, the rabbits were super easy. You can, mm -hmm. you can go on a, you know, three-day vacation and really automate the rabbits a whole lot. You can't do that. I mean, honestly, the things that have the most time suck for us are the dogs. Well, I think that the dogs are also the most, like, needy, right? They, they need to go out. They need to exercise. The other ones are already doing that on their own. I think that it's interesting... Could you talk on, since you're discussing time, could you talk on that um, almost function stacking of time where you've talked, where you shared with me, just like we're planning out our next five moves and you shared, well, if we're going to be home for the cows anyways, we, it takes us just as long to take care of the cows as it would these other animals. Yeah. So it all kind of has to do with getting the right cow. If you're talking about in terms of function stacking for a cow, we're mm -hmm. able to function stack for our cow because she came from a farm, a dairy that she was producing, mm -hmm. you know, close to six gallons a day whenever we got her. Mm -hmm. So we were able to 
figure that out. And then whenever it was time for us to either dry her off, which we were soon about to dry her Mm -hmm. off to milking once a day, and we had Georgia, and we said, hey, this isn't, this is just silly. Why are we doing that? Why don't we get another calf? Mm -hmm. And then we learned the second time that we did that, like, Goldie can support two calves. Mm -hmm. Why are we just getting one calf? Let's, let's get her uber healthy and keep her production up. And she, cause she was doing that at the farm. She was letting, there was sometimes two, three calves on all of these mamas. And that allowed us to say, wow, we're able to take off sometimes two to three days. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if we would have to milk. I think the two calves system would keep her healthy. It would and, just and be keep a question of up. are we just producing beef at that point, or do we want yeah. beef and milk? Yeah. And I think we've decided we want both. Two is better than one. Absolutely. So we've we've done two calves twice, and oh, we also did we also did a we did beef like at an auction. I, I didn't think about that because that's what a lot of people do right? here we in sold Texas. Them off. Yeah, like that's what ranches do is they're. They're in the cattle business. They're not in the beef business. I think they talked about that in Yellowstone. Where very greedy like, of us. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we didn't. I don't think we liked that very much. So you also want to listen to your gut, um, and that is where the bees come from for me. Of like not really caring about doing bees. That is not your jam. It is not my jam. Or your honey. I mean, we saw, <laughs> we saw. Uh, I mean, we heard friends who raised bees, and they gave us a lot of horror stories. Not a lot, but a, a couple. It's not person. a set it and forget it as you might imagine. Yeah, like like hey, if it's a cloudy day, you better not make them mad because they're all home. So what you'll notice is in in a sunny day, you're outside, all the wasps, all of the bees, everything is active on a sunny day. So all those worker bees are out. Right. That's why the bugs are all over you. On on an overcast day, like when they think it's going to rain, they stay in the mm-hmm. hive. And so that's whenever it's really bad because all of the bees, it's just so many more thousands. That's not even proper English, but there's just way so more many bees more thousands. in that hive. And and there was a, a dog died. I think yeah. <laughs> yeah dog died. Bo was like, I am out. This is this is not my wheelhouse. I will not be keeping bees. But it was it's not that bees are bad. This is the point of our conversation today is this will never be a one size fits all as the same for people's reasoning. Why do you homestead? It's never the same. We might all operate around, we desire for our families to be at home working together, right? Or we desire to be um, more connected to our food sources. All of these are very good reasons, but the ways we'll go about them are wildly unique. And the idea of bees is beautiful, but we would be terrible beekeepers. And I think that's the point. I think they could read me so well. I'm like, you're too stressed out. We're done. You're just, like, no, we're you killing are bad you. energy. Get out of here. You are not flowery. I want something sweet. Now, I do. <laughs> the bee lady. Where, did you ever <laughs> see that? There's like a. Oh my gosh. If, Chris you Pratt. Have, if you take one thing away, I sure hope you will go follow Texas Bee Works. She is beautiful and she says it was another great day of saving the bees and there's a it will bless your life there was a, some sort of instagram reel is. or short or something and chris pat chris pratt did uh, like even he even he followed her 
because she's so big. And so he was like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to take care of this bee. And it was, I was thinking of that bee lady, great day of <laughs> yes. taking care of the bees. And, and he was wearing sunglasses and he was, and then that bee stung me in the face and bleep that yeah. bee lady. Like it was just a funny one. In a funny way. Like everybody loves her name is Erica. I just looked her up. It is Texas Bee Works. It's worth every second of any energy you would do to go look this up because she's so that's what a beekeeper should be like. That yeah. is what. And and I do think because we follow several beekeepers just online, but we know a few in real life. It's also an experiential thing. Many beekeepers are generational beekeepers. And so they had what's called the luxury of learning these lessons over a lifetime. We are learning, Bo and Kelly at the Better Together Homestead are learning absolutely everything in real time in front of you right here, right now. And I mean everything. Like we've had, I think, what was it? Seven years of parenting under our belt before we got here and everything else is happening here. <laughs> All of the animals that we are learning are happening right here, right now. Learning how to make cheese, learning how to make butter, learning how to milk a cow. All of these things are right now, right here. And wasting energy and effort on things that we already know we're not going to be good at is, I think, a foolish thing because time is something that is such a highly valued commodity that we cannot get back. So we want to put our effort toward things that will be successful in more likely than others. And we have had very few unsuccessful animal endeavors. I just thought of something. You talked about cheese making. You guys- Because I make so much cheese if already? If you're interested in learning our experience, because we've never done it, <laughs> about cheese making, put it in the comments here on YouTube. Uh, either find a way to message us uh, if you're listening to That's it on the podcast. so much accountability for me right now. I- that is just, how dare you. Just how very dare put, you. Put the pressure to us. Um, we have done yogurt with our, and it's delicious. It's great. It's great. We have not, our kids drink a gallon of milk a day. Our we family. We have four children milk drinkers. And then we have, then a, we have latte a latte machine. machine. It, we're, it's, yeah. We're making most of the raw milk. So it's it's very worth it. And even, but very little is left for cheese. Here's another thing. If you're like, well, don't and we're get, calf don't, sharing. Someone said, hey, I really like your videos and you've gotten me passionate. Like not just us, Justin, Jed, like a lot of the I've been YouTube, watching these homestead videos. Everybody got a milk cow within like 18 months. Uh, and Oh, Nelly. I know. It was funny. <laughs> but but yeah, it's we we had friends and said like, oh, it's not that hard. You can feed your cow off of hay and it's really good. So anyway, someone said, Hey, I really want to get a milk cow, but I'm the only person in my family that drinks milk. I was like, no. It's just, it's it a doesn't make sense. Like you, commitment. Well, you'd have to function stack it in a different mm -hmm. way. Um, I, I don't know. You would just have to really. I don't, it's just I don't think anybody should do that much dairy. That's so too you've much. You've got listening to your land. Yeah. Then listening to like yourself like your gut what are you good at you took away the notes oh sorry i was it's, a, it's underneath your works. butt now oh That's not any longer a, uh you need to know your time availability oh kids so you also need to know do you have cheap or free labor because i'll say this 
Our we, labor is not free. It's not free. Our we, children are extremely well paid. Proven by the 12-year-old who bought a steel handmade Captain America shield this week. For like a hundred bucks. This is a whole nother conversation yeah. on parenting and what to say yes to and what to say no to. But here's but the deal. We said yes. We, this is a longer podcast about how to <laughs> like homesteading with kids. We pay our kids yeah. for the homestead jobs and it gets them motivated and it teaches them. We don't. So Dave Ramsey once said this of our kids don't do uh, chores now, what did he say? Our kids, we don't give our kids an allowance. Right. We give our kids jobs. So they learn you have a job. You need to do it on time and with a good attitude. And you need to be able to listen to uh, direction. And you need to be able to fine tune that skill. And you get paid for it. And mm -hmm. you can save that money. And it's your money. And we can decide a mm -hmm. little bit together of what you do with that money. But most of the time, our kids know how to save it. They know how to give it and they know how to spend it. Right. And they get, get to spend it on mostly whatever they want. So that's a rabbit trail. Now, we but, don't get paid for our farm chores. <laughs> no, but I mean, it happened whenever Goldie was born and but I was- we bought into this life. And I do think that's- yeah. Each homestead's going to be really unique. It's probably a whole podcast on its own of like the farm, farm chores for farm kids. Like what have we experienced is enough and what have we used those chores to help encourage character wise in our kids? I think paying them has encouraged them to pay someone fairly for the work that they do for our kids in the future. When they employ someone, when they are asking for pay at a job that they do, there are multiple lessons that our kids are doing and they know when they've done their job well. We've also learned when we're asking too little of them because our kids have grown up here now. Age seven is when Everett moved here and now he's 12. I am not joking when I say he's man-sized. So there are things that this boy is very physically capable of doing that nowhere near was he capable of that just a few years ago. And those are interesting topics to discuss. Let us know if you want to know more about how we do things on the farm with our kids, because while we're still figuring it out, I do think there are principles along the way that we have gotten rock solid since then. I'm pretty sure that'll be next week's episode. So you have to be able to do like, so in, in thinking of the time availability and getting help whenever our kids are out of town, like whenever they would go to the grandparents mm -hmm. place, uh, it was hard. It was like really, really hard to be able to do that. Or, or how about this? Their days off, they get Saturdays off. Every Saturday, they get a day off. I don't get that day off. And that day, it takes me so much longer. Twice as long. Yeah, it's just, it's tough. You know, the dishes don't get done because Everett likes to do the dishes. Right. And he's the best at it. He has his own system. It's just his thing. And... The dishes usually don't get washed on a Saturday. But even so, the animals are fed. Yeah. They're usually, will usually take walks in the back so the dogs are run and exercised. There are just things that we adjust to based on the animals we need. However, I do think being so hands off or being so hands on and considering what do we actually like about our homestead has geared us toward what we'll do in the next move of animals. Like, will we get sheep? 
When will we get sheep? Will we get fish? When is the right time for us to get fish into the pond? This has measured our steps. And we've, in order to add new animals, even just a few months ago, someone offered us more pigs. And I was like, this is not the time. But when they were asking us about pigs, because we knew what our goals were toward our cows, for example, they were getting pregnant, we needed to sell one of them, we had a really solid future vision for our, our farm, the pigs, new pigs, just didn't fit into that. It, it might, but it didn't. I really wanted those. I, it, was a, it was a pregnant sow. Uh, it's from uh, Lou Roman from the the Shedstead uh-huh. YouTube channel, and he had he had a pregnant IPP. So it would have been good. It well, then given that's us two so- sets of pigs that almost that have been offered to you in the last few months. Was there from one? Lou and from Cody, we had oh, someone else offer us pigs. Yeah. And, but that's really funny that you should say that because he's just talking about <laughs> there are good times to be in a partnership on your property <laughs> so that when one person is like, oh, it just takes me so long to do those chores, then the other one can say, yes, it will take you even more time We're to better do together, these chores. For sure. We balance. Okay. So you also needed to know what do you like to eat? This probably should have been higher on the list. <laughs> yeah. But- so we started with the rabbits and mm-hmm. we love, absolutely love, loved raising rabbits. I still think there's still no, maybe a dairy cow, but it's still weird. How about this? I still believe that rabbits should be your first animal on a new homestead. I do. I Because they're so easy. They multiply. They're just, they're the greatest function stacking animal. We learned that there was a, a disease that started killing them off and that made it hard. But I will say this, if rabbits tasted like ribeyes yeah. or ground beef tacos or like pork chops, we probably would have figured out right. a way to make them work. Rabbits, it, it does not a bad, I love rabbits. I love a rabbits, but the, well, I think also, the meat is just a lower, it's, it's not the top priority of why you raise rabbits. Rabbits are raised because they function stack in so many ways. So they produce very quickly, they're turnaround, they're very, they're very hands off in regards to how much they will produce and how they care for their young. They, they take very little maintenance. They also have such a high count on litter. So they might have like eight, 10 rabbits per, per kit. And that means that each time you're going to do that almost every couple of months. So in a year, they're going to have a lot of babies and it takes only two does and a buck, but their poop is like this magic thing that if you're homesteading, you're probably going to be growing food as well. And in return, we just talked about this on the last podcast, your garden is going to feed your animals. So we're really looking for an entire ecosystem that all pays it forward to the next thing. And rabbits were great. We just didn't love their meat for ourselves that much. And then the time limit that you mentioned, how much time do you have for processing and then putting it in a bowl for your dogs or whatever you're trying to feed with rabbits? That's just why we decided, hey, at this moment in time, we're not going to be doing mm-hmm. rabbits in the near future. If one of our kids wanted to take it on, maybe we would do that, but not yet. So how we have done our best to function stack and to make, I just, I like the, the one line, just 
the word of holistic, um, net positive, just the easiest road. We want to work smarter, not harder. How we've done it is we knew rabbits because also you need to know your skill level and your experience. So rabbits was also easy because you can do it in suburbia and then it's an easy animal to transition right. to acreage. We did that. We went with chickens because chickens, yes, I, most people are going to have chickens on a functioning homestead. Here in our area, a lot of people, they just have cattle mm -hmm. uh, because they're raising cattle. They want it for the ag exemption and they don't want to have to deal with chickens. But it really is a great way to be able to easily get some work on your land. They scratch up, they help the land, and then you get eggs for them. But it works in our system of farming. Mm -hmm. So even, can I interject? Oh, no, go for it. Goldie, our milk cow, is sort of the linchpin of why everything works now. Things worked before, but I feel like we're cooking in with gas when we had Goldie come onto the property. So we were getting excessive amounts of milk. We could still be getting that amount if we wanted to keep up with her production, but we didn't. So for our family, we let her produce a little bit less. We got some calves to share her milk with us so that we could get a break. But any excess milk that we've gotten from Goldie, even if there's a day where she kicks over the pail or puts her, you know, poopy, I was going to say paw, it's a hoof, into, into the milk, that milk can go to our pigs. That milk, when we have a pregnant pig, we're often mixing pig feed with the milk and getting extra nutrition. We've used her milk with our dogs. We obviously use her milk with our family. But then her manure is the big payday compared to the rabbits. We have piles, I'm thinking four or five different composting systems on one portion of our property where each day we collect up the manure and we take them. And the chickens help us because they get into our compost piles and they're just scratching and digging and doing the turning for us. So they even play a higher role on the the functionality of our, or they play a higher functionality role really on our farm because they're always working. They sleep at night, but the second they wake up, they're straight to the poop. That's just how they roll. So I would, yeah. So now that we've done it, we've, I mean, we did the pigs. Our original design for this place was only pigs, mm -hmm. like chickens, pigs. That's what uh, Pete Van Dyke, our permaculture right. designer, because it has a lot of forest. We still have pigs. We have chickens. We have two ducks. But once we got Goldie, She's it's hard for me to say that it's still tough. If you have, so if every, if conditions are perfect, I would say if you have a bigger family and you don't have any kind of, you know, allergies to milk, mm -hmm. I do believe, and you have some acreage and you have some grass, all of the above, the milk cow, my goodness, there is nothing better than having a Jersey milk cow. I mean, it doesn't have to be a Jersey, but you want at least to get one and a half to two gallons of milk in the morning and you can still calf share. If you can do that, just so much works with this. You are able, I mean, I once told a buddy, yeah, milking this cow is a lot of work, but here's the deal. I'm self-employed. Mm -hmm. There are many days where I end up finishing an entire day of work and I think I made zero money today. I did not do anything income producing, like anything that produced income today. But what I did 
is I gave, I milked that cow and I gave my family anywhere between a gallon and a half to sometimes two gallons in the morning. And I, I'm, I'm growing beef with the calf. So it's satisfying. It really you is. Feel and the poop. And I've and I've harvested the poop for more compost. Even I, we've talked about this a lot as my role has shifted between teaching our kids and supporting you in new ways. When we got to this property, very much of our income was essential oils business, and that was on me. But it's shifted a lot over time. While that still creates income, we've found a way to jam together and we've learned that you sometimes just need to go out, kill something and bring it home. And I have that desire to take what's there and make it better. These are just the roles that we've found in ourselves. Like we love the way that we're each wired uniquely. And when you're asking me some nights, do we want to put the calves on in the morning or do we just want to let the cow, you know, do we want to milk the cow? We'll consider things. What do we need to make this week? And you didn't go out and kill anything and drag it home, but you absolutely put food on our table. I think that's really satisfying, especially when your work is behind a computer every day. You can feel like, oh, what's what's the measurable, tangible product at the end of the day? With a milk cow, with eggs, you have a measurable, tangible product. When we look in our freezer and we see pork and beef, Man, you feel rich. You feel like, oh, even outside of a doomsday situation, we have what we need. We are satisfied with the work at the end of the day. We have a functioning farm. <laughs> <laughs>